Yeah, amen. You know, I was just sitting there reflecting about changed lives. And this year, we've baptized uh, over 125 people. Um, and God's just really blessing. In the, in the recent uh, several weeks, we've had over 100 kids saved in our Bible clubs in the high schools. I mean, just think about, think about what we're talking about here. God is just doing some great things. This past week at Esperanza, they had about 130 kids, and about 30 of them uh, gave their heart to Christ. The week before, about 40 of them. I mean, it's just, God is just doing some pretty miraculous things in our midst, and we are just glad to be a part of all that He is up to. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, um, today I'm going to talk to you. We're, we're in a series uh, at 11 o'clock on prophecy and current events. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I see the news, the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh no, because it's hard to get good news, isn't it? And, you, and then the second thing that comes to me, I ask myself, how does that fit in to God's plan, God's scheme? It's the same thing you do in your own personal life. You kind of walk through circumstances in your life, and you probably ask yourself from time to time, what is God up to? What is God doing? And how do I take and interpret circumstances and life events in the light of Scripture? And Daniel, the prophet, had the same experience. Daniel was really taken into captivity, and God spoke to him and gave him prophetic glimpses into the future. Now, the amazing thing about the Bible, it's unlike any other book in the world. There is no religious book like it. There are all the religions of the world they do not have prophecy in them. In other words, they don't have something you can verify historically. You can go back 600, 700 BC, for example, in the life of Daniel, and you can read things that he wrote that are literally being fulfilled in our day. There are things that are yet to be fulfilled as well. To be able to historically document some of that is pretty amazing, pretty unique. The other thing that's interesting about it is when you begin to lay those out in where we are in, the, in our current day and age, it brings to light an understanding of, oh, now I understand what that means. For example, someone just uh, uh, posted on my Facebook page uh, this past week the relationship between Russia and Germany. And it was just a secular document that was put out there for people to understand. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, that's cool. They've got some kind of a business relationship. But it's far more than that. It's also prophetic. It's something that's unique in our day. It's something that was predicted in the book of, uh, of Ezekiel, and now we see a realization of it. So those are just examples of what you can see as life begins to come together. We're going to give you some of those today. Here's a couple of things I want to just begin with uh, by saying these are days of acceleration. Anybody know everything's moving too fast and you're trying to catch up with it? Does it feel like that to you? I mean, your life is going fast, but world events are happening. You ha even almost have a hard time kind of put into categories what just happened because the next thing has just happened. As we focus on one part of the world and there's conflict there, all of a sudden it erupts in another part of the world. As that begins to happen, the economy begins to move in a different direction. And then we have what's going on in, uh, in West Africa with Ebola. And then it comes to United, and you're just going, my mind is going in every direction. I don't even know how to focus on anything. So these are days of acceleration. There are also times where there's a shifting spiritual climate to the bad, to the worse, 
and to the good. In some ways, the spiritual climate is much worse than it's ever been. There's a lot more darkness in the land. There's a lot less, it seems, that uh, adherence to God and God's word. And yet, at the other hand, there is this great movement of God that we're going to talk about in a minute that is happening all around us, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're a part of it or not, it's happening. There's also a coming end-time revival. There's something that's going to culminate before the return of Christ. There's something that's going to be unveiled, and we're going to begin to see God accelerate in the spiritual realm what we already see happening in the physical realm. Remember, as things accelerate in one dimension in the natural physical world, God will keep pace and exceed that in the spiritual realm, because darkness will never overcome light. What will happen is in your own spiritual life, you'll grow spiritually, you'll get more insight if you're committed to that. And what you're going to do is you're just going to shine brighter in the world while the world is getting darker and darker and darker. Now, I want to show you a video. And this video, it kind of excites me a lot. We showed it in the first service, and uh, I wanted to tie it in to this whole idea of an end-time warrior. It's not a great quality film because it was taken on a phone, but it it was taken in September of this year at Camp Pendleton. It's 300 Marines, and they're singing, These Are the Days of Elijah. Now, if you've ever heard that song, it's one of those motivating songs where you think, wow, God is doing something in these end times like he promised to do in the book of Malachi in the days of Elijah. And you might find yourself as you're watching this wanting to sing along, stand up, jump, shout, do whatever you want to do, but let's watch the video and be blessed.
You know, I watched that and I just got fired up because I thought, these are guys that are going off to war. These are the best trained soldiers, arguably, in the world. And they got a heart for God. And I grew up on army bases. My dad was a colonel in the army, and I went to a lot of chapels, and they never looked like that. And I think there's a reason why. I think the days are different. I think the urgency of the hour drives the Spirit of God in us to be released. That there is a movement of God that God wants to do in your life, in my life. He's clearly doing it in their life. And those guys, should they make it back from battle and they find themselves into a church, they're not going to be sitting there like a wooden Indian. They know what's happened, the power of God. You see, when God gets in you, God begins to move in you, you want to be different. You want to you speak his name. You want to lift up his name. And I want you to see something from Scripture because it, it pushes us in that direction. Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, and here's what the Scripture says. At that time, Michael shall stand up. Now, Michael is the archangel. So the signal of this last time event that he's talking about to Daniel is going to be Michael is going to stand up signaling a time has come. We are living in some last days. We don't know when Christ is going to return, but we do know that we can read the seasons, we can read the days and say there are some things happening around us that line up with Scripture. He's called the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So Michael is specifically assigned to the Jewish people. He has other tasks, I'm sure, but this archangel is watching out. He's guarding in a very unique way. And then it says, and there shall be a time of trouble. That's the great tribulation. It's what Jeremiah in chapter 30 and verse 7 referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. A tribulation unlike uh, has ever happened, such as never was since there was a nation. So God says, yes, there's been difficulty. Yes, there's been trials. Yes, there's been hard times. But what's coming is unprecedented. It's never been seen before. It will never be seen again. It's coming in a place called the Valley of Megiddo. We know it as Armageddon. And it says, even to that time... And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Now, Daniel uses this little phrase, that time, repeatedly. He wants you to know there's something specific going on here. This is not just any time. This is a God-appointed time. Events that occur, that unfold in our world today, are not by accident. God is working out a plan. God is aware. He is knowledgeable on all these matters. He sees the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. He knows all things and he is orchestrating an end day plan for mankind. And it said, at that time, your people shall be delivered. So Israel will be delivered at this end time experience. Everyone who was found written in the book of life. Did you know God has a book? In fact, the Bible says God has several books. He has a book that records your deeds. He has a book that records your name. When the disciples rejoiced that the demons were subject to them, he said, that's all well and good, but rejoice rather that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. 
In other words, without that, everything else is secondary. Everything else is meaningless. So it says in verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. That's resurrection. You know, the Bible tells us we are not like people without hope. We have hope. If you've lost someone, you have hope. You know what hope is in the Bible? Confident assurance. What God has promised, God will fulfill. So we're not without hope. There's a resurrection coming. There's a grand regathering together of people that we've loved and known and many whom we've not known that we're going to meet and we're going to fellowship with for all eternity. But notice what it says, some to everlasting life. So this resurrection, there's a resurrection of life, but there's also a resurrection of death, of separation. Some will be counted to go into God's eternal kingdom, and some will not, the scripture says. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. So here's the warning. Here's the message. Those who are wise, and we're talking about divine wisdom here, a wisdom that comes from God, from God's word by God's spirit. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And that word firmament means the vault of heaven. There's something about you that's going to have all the glory of the sun, the moon, and the stars. When you're wise, you exemplify the wisdom of God. When you walk in his wisdom, you say things and you say, wow, that that came out really well. I don't know where that came from. It came from God. You see, what God does in your heart by his spirit, what God does by his word in your heart, it, it has an overflow effect where you begin to walk in the fullness of his wisdom, of his understanding. And you, you, you say things, you go, you know, I think God must have given me that. That's an amazing insight that God gave me. And it says, and those who turn many to righteousness. What is that? That's those who share the gospel with people, tell people how to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Notice the promise. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel. Now notice this. Imagine if you were Daniel and these were the words you heard. But Daniel, I want you to do this. I want you to shut up the words, that is, keep them secret, and seal them. They cannot be opened. I will not reveal it. I will not show it. It will not, you, you can read it all you want, but until the time is right, it won't make sense. Can I tell you that Daniel is making sense? Things that are written in Daniel are coming to clarity. The, the things that were hidden in days past are now being revealed in these last days. And it says, and the book until the time of the end. In other words, the prophecy of the last day. I'm going to show some things at the end of the age that I have not shown earlier. Now, that divine prophetic clock began to tick in 1948. When Israel became a nation fulfilling that prophecy, it began a spiral effect to where we begin to see more and more of prophetic things fulfilled in Scripture that we can verify right in our, in our Bible and with what's going on in our world. That was the beginning. Everything began to accelerate when God's prophetic clock began to tick. And notice what it says. And until the last days, many shall run to and fro. Now, what's interesting about that phrase there is that's used of God. It says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro across the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. 
And then in Job, it's used of Satan. It says of Satan that, that when he asked him, where have you been? He said, I've been moving to and fro across the earth. So what he's telling us there is there's a global kind of movement that was not possible until our day. You see, now it says of you and the world that you too will move to and fro. Whereas before only God or Satan or an angel could move to and fro, now because of technology, we can be anywhere in the world in just a matter of hours or even a day. And so it says global travel and knowledge shall increase. I'm going to show you here in just a minute how knowledge has increased and how that's tied in to what's going on here. And that is exponential growth in knowledge. You ever need to find something out? What do you do? We Google it, right? I just Google that. My wife and I all the time, we, you know, we used to argue. Now we Google. Because she would insist she was right, I would insist I'm right, and, and she'll try to make a point, I'll try to make a point, and one of us will just say, well, let's just Google it and settle it once and for all. It's our instant uh, database of knowledge, isn't it? And then sometimes you'll type something in, and there's only like, you know, 1,200,000 pages for you to read on that subject, right? And the ones that get the top hits, you go, they must be the most accurate, Right? No, not necessarily. They just may have better analytics than anybody else. But I want to take you through some things that are going on in our world today that you can read about in the newspaper. I try to grab articles that are recent and events that are recent, and I want to tie those back into Scripture so you can see how all of this fits together. Here's, a, here's an interesting article. This was in ABC News, October 10th, so Friday. Ebola could be the, worst, the world's next AIDS the Center of Disease Control Director warns. Now, I think all of us have been alarmed by the Ebola, and it's been around for a number of years. But all of a sudden, it began to show up in our world, in our community. It became not a thing in someplace else, but a thing in our backyard. And all of a sudden, the alarm went up. And then we are reassured by those who are in the know that it doesn't go airborne, that it's, you know, it, it can only be transmitted in certain ways, and at least that's how it's told. And then when you dig a little bit deeper in the CDC, you find out some more things. So I want to just kind of take you through this because this is the latest thing from the Center of Disease Control about Ebola going airborne. The U.S. Center for Disease Control uh, and Prevention believes that there will be 1.4 million cases of Ebola virus by January 2015. Now, that's on their website. Comforting, right? Anthony Banbury, chief of the United Nations Ebola mission, takes that warning a step further to suggest it's possible an airborne Ebola virus outbreak could happen. Now, my first thought is, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to talk to you. If you sneeze, I'm running. I mean, you know what I mean? I, doesn't that, it, have, it sounds the alarm and like, this is the worst news I've heard all day. Thank you very much, Pastor, for bringing this to my attention. I would rather die of Ebola and not know it. But Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7 says, one of the marks of the last days will be pestilence. 
One of the things that Revelation chapter 6 tells us about, there will be a plague that could take up to 25% of mankind. Now that's not new. Because we know what happened you know, during the Middle Ages and, and when the Black Plague came across Europe, one-third of Europe died from the Black Plague. It's not new. Ebola, the fear of that, that that's, we're always on the verge of something that challenges our faith or challenges our physical life. Let's move on to another subject. How about knowledge? Knowledge doubling every 12 months, soon to be every 12 hours. This is an article from Industry Tap from IBM. Buckminster Fuller came up with the idea of the, the knowledge doubling curve. And here's what he, came, he calculated. From, from Jesus to 1500, it doubled. Knowledge doubled in those 1500 years. Makes sense, 1500 years. You ought to know more in 1500 years than you knew before, right? Then from 1500 to 1750. Now we're just going in a 250-year window there. It doubled again. And then from 1750 to 1900, it doubled again. From 1900 to 1950, it doubled yet again. That was in 50 years. Today, it's doubling every 12 months. According to this article on IBM, this site on IBM, soon knowledge will be doubling every 12 hours. Now think about that. I can't assimilate any of that. I sometimes can't even find my keys. And now we're talking about knowledge doubling. There is a knowledge explosion that was predicted by Daniel that could never have been conceived of in his day. It could not have been conceived of in 1900. In 1950, it could not be conceived of. When my dad retired from the military, he took over a federal credit union, had one of the first computers in a federal credit union. It was 1974. My daughter just sent a picture of my dad in front of this computer that was about the size of this room. Probably had less power than my iPhone. Much more power than your Samsung Galaxies and some of those other phones. You know, the end of the world will come. It will finally be iPhones against Samsung. That's what the great war will be over. It won't be over anything really any more deep than that, I'm sure. How about Islam? You know, one of the guys that I really like to read is a guy by the name of Samuel P. Huntington. And Huntington is, uh, or at, he recently passed, but he was a, a Harvard professor, um, the Institute of Strategic Studies. He served as the director of the security planning for the National Security Council. He wrote a book called The Clash of Civilization and the Remaking of the World Order. Now, it's interesting to note that Huntington was not a Christian. Huntington didn't come from a worldview that said, you know, we're all Christians and we're going to sort it all out based on that. He came from really an academic kind of perspective and said, I'm just reading what I see, and this is what I see. And here's what he says in his book. He talks about an Islamic emergence. Now, this book was written in 97. So now put that in perspective. He was prophetic in seeing the world this many years in advance. And here's what he said. It, it will be as significant as the American, the French, and the Russian Revolution as in terms of its impact on the world. Now think about that. 
the American, the French, and the Russian Revolution, it will have as much impact as those events. And here's what he said, 1997. The resurgence is mainstream, not extremist, pervasive, and not isolated. So he's saying, eliminate the fringe, the extremist. It is mainstream. It rejects Western culture and is committed to establishing Islam as the guide for life, which would be a caliphate or what we would know as Sharia law. The first phase involved the Islamization of the universities, and that happened in 1970. In 1970, chairs for Islamic studies were set up. Probably the most uh, dominant one that we see today in our world is UCI. It is such a scary place that they can't even guarantee the security of a Jewish speaker on that campus. Whole videos have been done. It is one of the worst universities for that subject on, in terms of inciting uh, against uh, Jewish nation in America today. Second phase, the migration of major cities. So there would be a migration and they would be in their own enclaves and begin to build up structures. We see that happening. It's huge in, um, especially in Michigan. Third phase, the establishment of Islamic social organizations to influence the social order. So we see things happening. People are speaking to this subject. What we understand is, as believers, we understand that the enemy, Satan, is laying siege on the world. Good news. The church is the hope for the world. The good news is that the the worse the world gets, the more attractive the church looks. It's a safe place. It's a place that has hope. It's a place that looks to the future. Because always remember, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is always the Lord's. Now, this one, I want to tell you, this is another one, ISIS. That always kind of brings another sense of, oh, no, bad news. Now we're going to turn the corner if I can. No more bad news, all right? ISIS causes Iraqis to turn to Christ at a stunning pace. Now, this is what's interesting is, in the, in the, in the wake of the, the greatest uh, genocide that we've seen in our recent history, We're seeing Iraqi Christians refusing to bow the knee and saying, no, I love Jesus. In one town alone, 93% of all the Christians that were in there refused to say, uh, to to reject Christ, and they said, we will stand for Jesus. 93%, think about that, 100 people. They come and they say, we're going to take your life if you don't. Uh, bow your knee to Allah. And they said, then take our life. Unbelievable. This report came October 10th from the Christian Aid Mission. They were talking to a colonel in the Kurdish army in northern Iraq. And here's what he said, and I quote, you see the Arabs around you in the Gulf states which claim to be religious Muslims, they have not sent us anything but terrorists. But you who follow Christ send love and peace and goodness to people every single day. He received Christ that day, and he said, today I'm the happiest person. I've had the privilege of making this decision for Jesus Christ. This aid worker worker said, forced to trust God more than they ever have before, these Christians are growing in the relationship with God in ways that they had never imagined possible. 
That worker said, the opportunity is so great. No one is opposing the message of Christ. Everywhere we go, we tell people about Jesus and they receive Jesus. He said, our challenge is there's not enough workers. They're spread all across the land. They're in tents and living on sidewalks. And wherever, they, wherever we go and we speak about Jesus Christ, people turn to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity is the only religion with a personal God. It's the only religion with a personal God where you go right to the Father. Through the Son, you speak to God. We may think we're losing the battle you say, well, you know, it seems like Christianity and church is just not what it used to be. It's actually greater than it's ever been in the history of the world. Let me give you statistics on that. In 1900, there were 10 million Christians in Africa. Today, there are 516 million Christians in Africa. In 1949, there were 700,000 Christians in China. Today, there are 70 million Christians in China. In, the 1900, in 1900, there were 50,000 evangelical Christians in Latin America. Today, there are 60 million evangelical Christians in Latin America. Muslim sources every day report that 16,000 Muslims convert to Christianity every single day. Now, think about that. That is 6 million per year. It's interesting, last week when we had Masab here, I had an Egyptian man come up to me and talk to me, and he said, do you know uh, the Coptic priest, Father Boutros? And I said, I don't know him, I know of him. Father Boutros is a really interesting guy because he, he captured media on a television show in Egypt. And what he did was he exposed Islam for what it was. And he was one of the people that was instrumental in bringing Masab to an understanding of Islam. He was so effective in what he was doing. He was reporting sometimes a thousand conversions a week and then even more. He became such a target that they put death threats on him. And today he has the largest target on him in terms of a price, $60 million Al-Qaeda has to get rid of Father Boutros. Father Boutros lives in LA now. Good move. Get out of Egypt. The man, the Egyptian man came to me and he said, uh, he said, I don't know, you know, Father Butcher. I said, yeah. He said, well, I could arrange for him to come speak here. And I'm thinking, hmm, I better be gone on that weekend. $60 million price tag, that may not be good. But what's, what's the message here? God is doing something. Whether you see it directly or indirectly, God is at work. Worldwide, the number of Christians has nearly quadrupled in the last 100 years. From about 600 million in 1910 to more than 2 billion in 2010, that's almost one-third of the world's population. And remember, they're not Christians because they're born in a Christian home. They're Christians because they convert and they believe in their heart. That uh, Zakira Boutros I talked about, Al Jazeera reportedly aired a segment complaining about the priest, and they said this of him, he is... Uh, acting out an unprecedented evangelical raid on the Muslim world. Sheikh uh, Katani reported 6 million Muslims. Now remember, this is the Muslim on Al Jazeera reporting what's going on. Reported 6 million Muslims convert to Christianity every year. He said, this is terrible. We have to stop this. Why are they changing? What's going on? 
The conversion rate we see in our world today goes like this. In 1800, it was about 100 conversions a day that we could track. 1900 is 1,000 conversions a day. 1950, 4,000. You know the, the era of Billy Graham? Great movement, right? 4,000 a day. That's a lot of conversions. But in 1980, 20,000 conversions a day. 1990, 86,000 conversions a day. 1995, 100,000 conversions a day. 2010, 175,000 conversions every single day happening in our world. Amen and amen. Give God the glory for that. Jared, who leads out our Bible clubs, and, and we've got... Uh, you know, student leaders that are doing a great job. Uh, in Esperanza alone, we've seen uh, uh, about 80 conversions to Jesus Christ in two weeks in our public schools. Now think about that. Well, you know, Jared won't tell you much about himself, but Jared has in his ministry over the last 10 years, he has recorded names of over 2.1 million people that he has in his preaching, in his crusades, in his efforts, brought to faith in Jesus Christ. 2.1 million. We're just blessed to have him as a part of our fellowship here. You know, I love in Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1 and in verse 5, this is what it says. The Lord replied to Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a little discouraged. Ever been discouraged? Ever felt like God wasn't working in your world and you prayed, you didn't see the answers to your prayers? You know, sometimes it's a matter of timing. It's not a matter of no, it's a matter of wait. It's a matter of when. It's a matter of getting you ready for the miracle. It's about changing your character and changing your, your, your new nature into reflect more of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes our prayers are just the wrong prayers right? We just pray for the wrong motive. We pray for the wrong thing. We don't understand what God is up to. But sometimes it's just a matter of timing. And so Habakkuk was upset with God and God, what are you doing? And why aren't you doing something? And I love Habakkuk, uh, the words that he records that God spoke to him. The Lord replied and said, look and be amazed. I want you to just stop for a minute in your mind, look at the world and say, I'm amazed at what God's doing. Look at your own personal world, and you say, well, yeah, but this is going wrong. What's going right in your world? What do you have that you can look at? You know, if, if whenever you go someplace and you see someone discouraged, I do this all the time. If they're working and they're serving me behind the counter, and they, you know, they've got that sad face on, I say, how are you doing? And they go, all right. And I got the same line I use with them every time. That way I don't have to relearn something. I said, well, you look pretty healthy. You, you feel Okay. Yeah, yeah, feel fine. You got a job, they pay you, or are they not paying you? Make you work for nothing. No, they're, they're paying me. Okay, so you're healthy and you got a job. I said, you got friends? Yeah, I got friends. How are you doing? I guess I'm doing better. You see, have you taken an inventory and see what, what is God doing that's good in your life? When you focus on what he's not doing, guess what? You're... you're, you're you're saying, don't come into my world. Don't influence my world. Don't impact my world. You say, well, God's not doing any miracles in my life. Do you believe that God can do miracles in your life? We just baptized, one of the girls we baptized was Ashley. 
You may remember that name. She was, God healed her completely, gave her a completely new bladder. She had, uh, had complete bladder failure. The doctor said there's no hope. She sent us a picture from the doctor's office, jumping up and down, doing the happy dance, because the doctor said, your bladder has been, it looks like, brand, made brand new. She's only 26 years old. And she was baptized today. See, God is working. Sometimes we isolate God out from our world because we don't think God can work. We don't believe God can work in that way. He said, look and be amazed, be astounded for what I'm about to do, for I am going to do something in your own lifetime that you will have to see to believe. That should be your prayer. God, I want to believe you for that which I'm going to have to see to believe. It's just going to blow my mind because I would never comprehend it in my heart, in my spirit. Here's what the Bible says through Peter, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise. You ever tried to speed God up? Hey, God, what are you doing? God, 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 have you forgot about me? Everybody else is blessed but me. God says, I'm not slow about my promise. I'm working. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all come to repentance. All come to repentance. You know, when you really begin to see the world the way God sees it, it changes your whole perspective. You see, if we can take all the bad stuff in the world, we can look at it and say, look at all the bad stuff that's going on. God sees that, but God sees this other side, this other dimension too. But guess what? I've sent you in the world. As I was in the world, so you are in the world. Greater things uh, will you do than I have done because I'm going to the Father. That's what he's given us to do. Now think about it. We, we probably have seen as many miracles in the last two years in this church as you saw in the first 10 chapters, 12 chapters of the Gospel of John and the life of Jesus. I mean, does that change your perspective? I mean, it really does. It changes your perspective. Because you say, God is not absent. God is working. We just don't, we just have become so filled with everything else, we don't see what God is up to. We don't release God in our life. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. God is revealing his strategy to the church. And we started our school of ministry about uh, 10 weeks ago with 65 students. Now we have 102 students. We have a two-year program, a three-year program. It's open to all. You don't have to be going to the ministry to do it. This dinner that's coming up on, on the 27th, you should be here. It's, it's kind of we're going to tell everybody what we're doing with the school, officially launch it. It's not like it's already official, doesn't it? But we're going we're gonna to have a great time. I hope you'll be here for that. Secondly, the greatest movement of God is upon us. The greatest movement of God is upon us. And spiritual power and authority is essential for every believer. You can't function without that power. You can't lead people to Christ. You can't be bold. You can't pray for God's people to be healed without that boldness and that power in your life to just be released in the lives of other people. And we want to see God work in your life, in my life, in our world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and, and we're going to pray. And as we pray, I'm going to invite you uh, to the communion table. We have tape communion tables around uh, the four corners of this building. And we'd like to just uh, allow you to have that time where you could fellowship with God and commune with Him. Father, as we, uh, as we prepare our hearts for, the, for just sharing in, your, in the memory of your 
death and burial and resurrection, your body and your blood, God. We take this cup and we do it in remembrance of you and we take this body remembering that, that you died for us. And it's a communion that we share, I'm sure, in, in parts of Africa that are so desperate right now, in parts of Iraq and the Middle East, parts of, of just even our own city and our own nation, God, where Christians gather and we join with them in taking that cup and that bread and we know that there are sisters and there are brothers and that we have one Father in common. And we share that life together. We share that communion with the Father through the Spirit. God, as we take this bread and this cup, may you just remind us of who we are and what you're doing in our lives.